Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey, welcome back, it's Mike. Before I begin with today's episode, I'd really love to know what you think of the podcast. And the reason I ask this is because we want to make sure that the content we're producing is the right sort of content for you and you're getting value out of it. You might be somebody with a disability, someone in the adaptive community, or you might be someone outside of there who's taking the knowledge of the adaptifiers and incorporating that into your everyday life. We really want to know how we can improve upon that. You can drop me an email, mike at adaptify.com, with any suggested improvements, or feel free to leave us a comment on your podcast host, like iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. Today's guest is Garrison Red from Brooklyn, New York. At 17 years old, Garrison was shot and left him paralyzed. He had a focus on football at the time, and he's had to refocus and shift his attention into other areas of his life. He graduated with a degree in finance. He's on the U.S. Paralympic powerlifting team. He's the co-founder of the Garrison Red Project, and he's also an aspiring actor and an accomplished model. Garrison, welcome to the show. Yes, yeah, awesome, man. I appreciate you inviting me on this show. Hey, so for our listeners, where whereabouts are you calling in from now? Brooklyn, New York. All right, nice. And um, so, what is you know? Did you grow up there? Was was Brooklyn, New York, your your hometown? Yeah, man. Actually, Brooklyn, New York is where I'm from. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. So, yes, I'm, I'm an authentic Brooklynite. So Brooklyn, like, that's changed, right? Because back in the day, that was, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it used to be quite a sort of a, you know, rough neighborhood. Do I have that right? Yes, you got it exactly right. You was out in Brooklyn before. Well, I did the New York Marathon in 2014, and, and I'm pretty sure we, we uh, I pushed through Brooklyn on my, uh, on my you know, uh, yeah. racing wheelchair. But, you know, like we, we grew up with popular culture from the United States, so you, you pick up things like, um, you okay. know, like that and so what was it what was it like growing up there man what was your what was your background like Brooklyn was awesome growing up it was awesome growing up in Brooklyn um growing up I played sports I played football basketball baseball did a little boxing and um yeah I was a straight A student in school uh, and I just played sports that was pretty much it that was like my daily routine um I have wonderful parents and I grew up in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn. That's like, for those of you who do not know, that's where Mike Tyson is from. Um, like the boxer Zab Judah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty rough neighborhood. However, um, you know, it's home. So everything is fine. Like, you know exactly where to go, where not to go. But um, I, I was so, I was intelligent as a, as a adolescent. So I was always in gifted programs and things of that nature where, yeah, I was always in gifted programs and things of that nature where um, I went to schools that was like outside of my neighborhood. So I was able to get pretty much different diversity. Mm-hmm. So I was able to learn about different cultures and things of that nature. So, yeah, I really excelled academically, which benefited me in the long run. <laughs> nice. It sounds like you, you like you had some streetwise 
aspects of your life too. You know, you live in a, in a rough neighborhood. You, you, you can, you can talk to the people in your community. And, and obviously you, like you said, you had to know where to go and where not to go. And you also had the other side of the fence where you had an academic background. So, you know, um, I've often talked about having, you know, a broad range of experiences in your life and, and, you know, really getting outside of your comfort zone whenever you're, um, have the opportunity, because, when something like a traumatic accident happens, you, you've actually got this uh, this body of skills, this this um, you know this this background of skills and experiences and um, to to call upon. Um, so it sounds like you, I mean, your background, you're growing up, you had those skills. Just describe the the day that you know your uh, your life all changed. What happened there? Okay, so yeah, I was 17 years old, and it was an ordinary summer night. I was outside with a couple of my friends from the neighborhood. It was I was actually across the street from my house, so I wasn't far. So like that's why I always tell people like when they say, "Oh, you just was at the wrong place at the wrong time," I'd be like, "I'm across the street from my house." I just think that you know, in certain environments, you know, things are more prevalent to happen just due to the environment. But I was outside and I got shot which um, the bullet burnt the nerve surrounding my spinal cord, which left me paralyzed from the T12 section, um, incomplete. And that day, I mean, I just remember the heat of the bullet, like entering my body. And due to the fact that I had so much muscle mass, um, because I played football, the bullet lodged right under my armpit. So, however, it didn't sever my spinal cord, which was a good thing. However, but still, you know, it left me paralyzed with, you know, the inability to walk. So talk us through, man, talk us through the, the, the months after that. What was uh, what was rehab like and what was your mindset like? What, what helped you get through that? Since I was in rehab in the pediatric unit, I had the opportunity to see um, other individuals, especially children, that was going through a similar experience or they was born with, you know, different types of disability, such as, you know, maybe they was an amputee or um, spinal bifida or cerebral palsy. And seeing those kids, you know, fight every day or I remember I had a close friend, um, kind of forgot her name. However, she had um, cancer. And it was like spreading throughout her body rapidly and seeing her in therapy every day and seeing, you know, five-year-olds, four-year-olds in therapy. I mean, smiling, knowing like, you know, you know, there's circumstances that, you know, they are, you know, they appear different, you know, as far as from a physical aspect and they was happy. And that was one of the things that motivated me. Another thing, like, well, just take it back a little, like, right after, like, I was in the ICU unit, and um, I remember the doctor came to me, and she said, you know, I heard about, you know, what happened, and, you know, things happen that is unfortunate to good people. However, um, you know, I know you can't play football no longer. However, you don't have to be the player. You could always be the coach. And that kind of changed my perspective on the circumstances of my injury. So yeah, I just gained that like ambition instantly um, because I knew that 
you know, being a leader is and being able to change the world, help so many other individuals would be more important and more fulfilling than anything I could ever imagine. Well, that's uh, that's a great mindset shift. I um, I heard my wife talking to somebody about uh, about me, and uh, and she was saying that hey, don't worry. She was sort of reassuring someone close to us that don't worry about it. Mike's going to be able to uh, reshift his focus, and he's going to be the best. You know, he's going to be the best paraplegic in the world. <laughs> you know, and um, and at the time, I didn't. I didn't think like that, but, uh, but ultimately I, I grew to understand that, yeah, like just that very point about, okay, maybe you're not going to be the best player, but you can be the best coach. Right. And exactly. just, just that shift of focus. And, and, you know, the important thing is to have some focus and some goal and it takes, it, it doesn't always come instantly, but, uh, for you and I, um, it came, it came pretty quickly. Um, yeah. and, and that really helped, that help you, yeah, just move on with your life and accept uh, accept the situation, right? Yeah, for the most part. And another key thing that you said, like, I it gave me the mindset because, like, people said you're gonna be the best paraplegic ever, like. And I have that same mindset, so it's funny you said that, Mike. But and people was um you know visiting me, and I remember another gentleman, which is like my mother's uncle, he said something to the fact of. Uh, to the effect of um, you don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life and you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to worry about death. And that's one of the things that a lot of people worry about each day, wake up and worry about, you know, what's going to happen. Are they going to be alive tomorrow? And basically he said, like, you don't have to worry about that no more. You went through your worst experience ever. So you have your whole life to be great. So <laughs> well, the same concept that that you 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 just mentioned. Yeah, and look, I, I mean, I t- I don't I don't wholeheartedly agree upon that. I can understand the, some of the logic behind that. You know, I don't think that just because we had uh, you know a life changing accident like that, we're immune from anything else happening. But I also know that um, it's quite empowering to know that you can get through a challenge like this and uh, and and come out the other side. So. I'm, you know, like if something else does happen, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, I'm not necessarily waiting for it, but I, I know I've got the resilience to, uh, to cope with it. Yeah. Um, no, and it's at the end of the day. I, I, and I think about that. And I just say to myself, like, really, what's the worst that could happen? Like what, 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 what worse could happen to me in, in this lifetime? And yeah, I think maybe also that gives you some uh, urgency to, just make the most of every day and do the absolute best you can. And because um, you, again, you never quite know what is around the corner. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a key thing that those closest to me uh, realized. You know, they're like, oh, okay. Uh, and now they see, well, they now see that I'm doing a whole heap of things with my life. And it's, I guess, it's a motivation for them to uh, to reflect on where they're at, perhaps. Um, and, and realize that it, it could have been them that got hit by that car. Um, and, uh, and I really hope that that, uh, that encourages them to, uh, to make the most of their days too. I'm sure you had friends and family that, uh, you know, that gave them a bit of a wake up call perhaps, you know, as to where they were. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I know, like, I have tons of friends that said, if it was, you know, seeing where I'm at now, currently in life, they like, they got to do, they got to get on their grind. They got to do something, you know, fulfilling that's going to, like, pretty much increase their just level of awareness of how important and special life is at the end of the day. Hey, so Garrison, you you obviously got through rehab and you you learned what physical capability you had, um, and you know you obviously you, you left with a you left with a wheelchair as a as a form of mobility. I've seen you using a standing frame, uh, you know something or calipers that you can that you can use. What was the the toughest moment that you had to transition once you left the hospital, and and, and what got you through that? What did you That's find? A, what did you find the toughest? The most challenging was the the discrimination. That 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 was the most challenging. Like a lot of things were challenging, but I think overall to me is just like the discrimination from individuals like entities that just do not want to accommodate wheelchair users for whatever reason. You know. But um I can think you give, can you give us an example of, of something of that nature? For instance, um, I, I've been told when I went to a lounge or, well, yeah, like a lounge before where, which I don't know, y'all might call it a bar, but it's mm. similar. But um, I went to pretty much one of those type of social arenas and the bar owner wouldn't let me in because I had a wheelchair. He just wouldn't let me in. Man, kidding me. Really? In this day and age, I guess he, he said something to the effect the wheelchair is going to mess up my floor or something like that. Wow. Wow. So how did you react to that? And, and you know, did you did you see red? Did you did you tell him what you thought or did you just sort of? What? No, actually, how, the way I reacted, I said, see, this is going to stop. Like, usually I, it would have led to some type of argument. But in that particular um. That particular time, I said, you know what? I really need to do something to help other individuals out. So, so that way, it'll be the norm to see a wheelchair user in a bar or a lounge. It'll be the norm to see, you know, a wheelchair user working behind the counter or wherever at, at you know, s- certain entities. Because that's one of the things about inclusivity. Um, we need to be outside. So that way we could make a difference and show them our capabilities that we're just like anybody else. That's so great. Um, have you, uh, you must have come across Yannick Benjamin. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Yannick, very cool. Yeah, sounds sounds like, uh, you know, he had a similar, similar goal and, and he was up against similar challenges with his, uh, you know, his, his career in the restaurant trade and being a wheelchair user posed all sorts of, uh, prejudices and, and physical challenges that he's determined also to uh, to rectify, which is really cool. So exactly, yep. And uh, I guess the more people that are doing it, the the more change there will be. So so that's fantastic. Okay, so um, were you so at seventeen? You you were still at school, uh, or were you? Yeah. So did you did you go back to school? Did you go on to college? What did you do well, once, once uh, you got out of the hospital? Yeah, well, I went off to college. Actually, I graduated from um, while I was still in rehab and from high school. And um, after right after high school, I took a year off from school 
And then I went off to college. Um, well, pro- but in high school, the reason why I was able to just finish my curriculum in the rehab facility was due to the fact that I already was um, finished the major classes that I needed to take. So, and that goes back to, luckily I was in, you know, luckily I was heavy on my academics. That way I had something to fall back on being that I couldn't play football no longer. So yeah, I graduated. Then I went off to college. I graduated with my bachelor's in finance from York college. Um, College experience was actually a great experience for me because of the fact that in high school I was walking, even though I graduated um, with, with the wheelchair, but I didn't actually attend physically attend school. But um, with college, that was my first time being in an atmosphere where I'm, you know, the only one with a wheelchair or one of the only ones with the wheelchair amongst thousands of people. And people actually pretty much greeted me with open arms. Like everyone was polite. I met a ton of friends. A lot of my friends I met in college is still currently my friends today. And college really like changed my outlook on having this type of disability, uh, such as a spinal cord injury. It did show me that in this world, we are accepted. It's just that, you know, people a lot of times have ignorance due to the fact they don't know or they don't understand that we are normal. We, I mean, it was an amazing experience for me. Yeah, that's really good, Matt. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. Um, you know, not everyone has the confidence to go into situations like that. But what I found is that if you are confident and you sit up high if you can and you you know, you look people in the eyes. It's these simple things. If you're confident, people will treat you with uh, with respect often. And uh, if you're meek, then you know people aren't. They're not always sure how to uh, not always sure how to talk to talk to you because of your your difference, right? So yeah, and that's the funny thing. It's funny that you said that because of the fact that when I was in college, a lot of you know individuals, you know, was curious, you know, they just want to know, like, what is life like for someone like me? And I would tell them, like, you know, whatever questions they ask, I pretty much answer because at the end of the day, everyone knows someone that's disabled. So if you are able to pretty much, you know, if I I feel that since I was, you know, disabled, I'm the one to be the one to tell people some, you know, answer some of the more uncomfortable questions and things of that nature, because, you know, they are curious. Mm. Yeah. And having increasing the understanding, the general understanding, um, you know, is, uh, is, is better overall. I remember, uh, last week, actually, uh, I had somebody that was uh, a couple of people that were tendering for some graphic design work and I wanted to show them, I just wanted to walk them through an experience, like a patient experience. So I met them out at our local spinal cord rehab hospital and I took them back to the first moment where someone might um, enter the hospital and I talked them through the process. And I talked about bowel and bladder and body functions that they had no idea. In fact, I had no idea. I thought if you just broke your back, you just lost the use of your legs. I didn't understand all the other aspects, pain and you know, all the other psychological impacts. And yeah. by the end of that time with those, the two different uh, graphic designers, 
they had a you know they had a deeper a much deeper understanding of uh, of the subject matter and, and of what uh, what we've we've gone through and what we live with every day and you know taking that uh, taking that uncertainty or that um, lack of knowledge away and gives gives them a better understanding and, and it means that next time they they find their with somebody else of uh, you know they've got something to talk about you know them you know they, they might have something more they can relate to if you know if you're sitting beside someone who's in a wheelchair you can then talk about stuff or at least have an understanding and uh, you know that helps break the ice I guess it, it makes you more connected right yeah exactly exactly so uh, hey so listen you, you know you obviously you're a physical guy and football was your thing how did you replace that physicality well I kind of it took me a while to replace it but I just I was since I went right to college um, being in school really took my mind off of playing football um, because then I had something to focus on on an everyday basis and um and then, you know, it's it comes a point where you just let it go. Like, it's just something that you just have to let go. So that's pretty much how I replaced it with school. What about adaptive sports? Did you find uh, opportunities to, to be involved with uh, adaptive sports? I mean, I was approached a couple times to get involved in adaptive sports early in my injury. But I wasn't really too open to it, um, being that – my whole life was centered around like making it to the NFL. After that, I was like, uh. and then I didn't know all of the adaptive sports either that was out there. So it took me a while, but um, after a while, I well, actually like two years ago, I got into wheelchair racing and I started doing that. And then after wheelchair racing, um, I was also doing field sports like shot put, javelin and discus. However, I excelled at powerlifting like at a remarkable rate. So that's currently what I do now. I'm actually a Team USA power powerlifter. Oh, man, epic. So, yeah, I mean, for those that don't listen, uh, that are listening that don't understand what that means, what what does that involve? Well, as a as a power powerlifter, we complete one one movement, which is the bench press, and you get three. It's Weight it goes by weight categories, and you get three opportunities, and your score it would be the highest amount out of your three attempts. Okay, so essentially you're on a, on a bench press, and you've got to press the most weight per your body weight, I guess that, yes. you, that you possibly can. So you know, kind of lightweight, heavyweight, you know, those sort of weight classes, yeah, like fifty four kgs, fifty nine kgs. 65 it goes up to super heavyweight which is over like 130 kg somewhere in that range and so you know you've got two fully functional arms are there categories for powerlifters that have reduced arm function uh actually no there isn't however and it's grouped by just weight not only disability and just yeah just by weight and um so it's open to any disability as long as you're within that weight class limit. Mm, okay. Okay. So, I mean, really somebody, uh, somebody with uh, quadriplegia, for example, would, would struggle to compete in that, in that field, in that arena? I would say so. Yeah, because you definitely need um, a strong upper body. 
Okay, so just uh, fill in a picture for me. You, you obviously you train at a gym, and, and you said before the interview started uh, about six days a week. What was it like going into the gym for the first time as a wheelchair user? It was. I mean, I didn't. All right. So for the most part, I didn't go back to the gym until after after I had started school. So to go to the gym as a wheelchair user, I was already um, comfortable with being outside in the wheelchair. So. It was just ordinary. It was just like another gym day for me. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's good, man. It sounds like you had uh, you had plenty of opportunity to, um, you know, you feel confident out in public. Um, yeah. Do you need do you need much help with the with the weights and things at the gym, or are you able to set yourself up uh, without without assistance? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't really need any help as far. Only thing I might need help with, which I can do myself, is loading the bar, but um. Yeah, that could be a bit cumbersome sometimes. However, I could um, balance myself through to my core, and I could pretty much complete every exercise. And the thing is, you usually have a training partner, don't you, and someone that's spotting you, right? So they can they can usually assist. Sometimes it depends on the type of exercise that I'm doing at the time. Yeah, nice. So, uh, how often do you compete with uh, you know with that, and and you know. You know, yeah, exactly. Where, whereabouts are you, are you competing with that? What's the, yeah, the schedule like? Yeah, I do national qualifiers. Um, typically, they are once or two times out the year, and then international competitions, which are typically once a year. Right now, I'm in an off season, so I won't be competing in a national meet until next year, um, January of 2020, and um, hopefully. With the intentions on qualifying for Dubai World Championships in April of 2020. Dubai, okay, man, nice. Well, it's fantastic. How many people are, uh, you know, are involved in um, powerlifting, disabled powerlifting? Well, yeah, in para powerlifting on the national level, it's 12 athletes. I believe, yeah, it's about 12 athletes from across the United States. All right, so very, very um, specific and and quite a tight knit group of people, I imagine. Yeah, is there somewhere people can go to learn more about that if they're listening and they want to they want to know more? They could go to disablepowerlifting.com. Nice and simple. All right, cool. That's fantastic. All right, um, so Garrison, uh, you know, did you end up working in finance? What was your um, what sort of career path did you end up taking? Well, right after I graduated from York College, I went into day trading for about two months. And then from there, I started working at the IRS as a tax analyst. And I did that for six years. And um, while I was there, that's when I had the epiphany to pretty much figure out how I'm going to change the world. So how how are you changing the world? I'm really, I'm really excited to hear. Well, yeah, so... I was sitting at my computer one day and I'm at the screen. I'm like, I'm way too cool for this. Like I need to be doing something where I'm having (laughs) an impact on other individuals. So uh, I remember it. I remember the day like yesterday, it's about two and a half years ago. um, I started speaking with my cousin and him and I was like, yeah, we need to do something fulfilling. Like we can't just be, you know, just working and, you know, missing out on the world or and the impact and the good qualities that we have that we could provide to the universe. So um, I 
actually ran into my godfather after not seeing him for about 10 years. And he's like, hey, man, I think you should model for my clothing line. So I'm like, all right. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not a model, but he said, hey, you could be, you look really good, you know, and you could really be a model for me. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And I met two of my good friends, which is the owners of this brand called Milf Dad. And one is Ben Fine and Justin Butler. So when I met them, they like, we got this cool brand that we're about to start. And we we really want you to be like a face of the brand and a model for us and things of that nature. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And then um, <laughs> so we t- did a photo shoot and like they designed this cool wheelchair where I think they got it from a thrift store, but they put like a big emblem on it. They spray painted it and the picture kind of went viral around the internet. So a few weeks later, right after that, um, this gentleman approached me in the gym and he says to me, um, yo, you should come out and play like wheelchair football. I'm a coach of a team. So I'm like a wheelchair football team. I've never even heard of anything like that. So I said, you know, I'm a model. Like if I fall, I can get hurt. I can't go to work. I don't know how that works, but he's like, nah, for real, come out. I see that you can lift a lot of weight. You know, this might have, you know, it might be something you like. You should get in. It doesn't hurt to get involved or just to see what it's like. And so there I started. I went out and I met this gentleman from the Wheelchair Sports Federation called John Hammer. And his name is John Hammer. And he introduced me to um, adaptive field sport. And so around that time as well, um, I met this lady um, named Connie Chi, and she uh, became a great mentor and friend of, uh, of my, myself and my cousin. And she pretty much gave us like an idea. And we, and the idea was like, you should start a not for profit organization where you can help children with disabilities. So I said, that sounds like a, that sounds great. Like, because I felt like, there's no figure where a child could be like a child in a wheelchair could be like, yo, that's my Michael Jordan or mm. Wayne Gretzky or, you know, that <laughs> an awesome person or, you know, singer, you could be a singer. So it's like, there's all of these opportunities for individuals with disabilities that it just needs someone out there that's going to advocate for them or, and promote it. And, you know, and just keep, you know, speaking about it to make people more aware of the capabilities of individuals with disabilities. So, and then she, from there, I told her like, um, you know, I wouldn't mind getting into public speaking. And she said, yeah, you should do a TED talk. And I said, a TED talk. And at the time I didn't know what that was. And my cousin started telling me, you know, and showing me videos of other individuals who've done TED talk previously. And I applied and was selected. So like my first talk on a major scale was like in front of hundreds of people. And I explained to <laughs> people how life is like lemonade, how life is going to throw you lemons, but with some sugar, some water and ice, you could turn that sour fruit to a sweet and refreshing beverage. And that's when I, you know, declared that I was going to be mayor of New York city one day. And the reason being is because I, I feel like I could really help not only individuals with disabilities, but individuals from all walks.
walks of life to come together and just make this world a better place. Because at the end of the day, we all were, are brought here and we're brought here because we have great abilities and we just have to find what our great ability is. And that's what I'm showcasing to the world, how, you know, you got to put your mind to something and you just have to see things from a different perspective, but there's nothing in this world that you cannot do. What I really like is the, the fact that you had this intention to go out and change the world and make a big impact. And as soon as you make that conscious decision, isn't it amazing the sort of people that end up appearing in your life and the opportunities that are there, they're, they're, they're always there. And this is the thing, they're always there, but you can't often see them or you don't often, uh, you're not listening, you're not looking out for them, you're not, you're not willing to accept them because you haven't got that sort of goal, right? So if you say, I'm going to sail around the world on a boat um, to a group of people, all of a sudden you've made that conscious but also subconscious intention to do that and when an opportunity presents itself uh you know somebody with experience to mentor you as, as in your case you're open to it and all of a sudden the ball starts rolling and before you know it things are happening almost as if on automatic pilot yeah and that's what i try to explain to people like when it's your time you're going to skip the line like once you declare it what you're going to do and you have a plan in your mind on how you're going to do it, then for the most part, the chips are going to fall in place. Um, you just have to be patient and you have to trust the process because everything's a process. And I think a lot of times we get discouraged when the process isn't going as quickly as we expect it to or want it to. So that's why, you know, I always stay patient and I had to learn that, that things are not, and there's opportunities that you're going to miss out on and then there's going to be a better opportunity that you're going to receive. So sometimes you just got to, you know, be confident that something's good is going to happen. And that's, it should be your only mindset. You said something just then around, um, you know, I like that. First of all, I like that quote, when it's your time, you're going to skip the line, but that, that comment you made about it's going to take time. Um, or, you know, my experiences, and in some cases, your expectations of how quickly things are going to, to take, especially if you're doing something new and you're not experienced with it, um, those expectations can be, uh, they, can't, they can sometimes not be true. And you can put a heap of pressure on yourself to, to achieve them um, in that time frame, you think. Or in some cases, you can give up because you're, you're thinking you're failing. But um, having a realistic um or having somebody experienced that can tell you about the process and, and the time it might take um, will arm you with um, the patience that, that you described you need to, to get things done. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, you, you realize along the way that actually this isn't really what I wanted to do um, and this isn't, you know, this isn't how I imagined it. And then you can pivot, you know, you can shift your focus to something in, in many cases, better, you know, um, which I, which I think I think is really good. I'm curious, Garrison, when you uh, first went out and and modelled, um, I, I presume this was for a private photo shoot. But have you done have you done catwalk modelling? What, what what's the modelling what's the modelling industry like for um, adaptive or disabled models? Well, currently, right now, um, the model industry is starting to. Um, welcome more individuals with disabilities 
Um, the reason being due to the fact that individual with disabilities is like one fifth of the total population. Mm. And so think about it. Like one out that's that's a lot of people, one out of every five people. So it needs a greater reflection of individuals with disabilities because at the end of the day, individuals with disabilities spend money just like anyone else. They're our consumers. So we have to like like the the fashion industry, the modeling industry has to open up to individual disabilities and they're starting to. There's a lot of organizations and there's a lot of models out there that do have disabilities that are becoming pretty famous. Mm, nice. So are there some logistics that you had to navigate in order to to be a, a wheelchair model? What was what were some of the things you had to overcome? Well, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I really haven't had a lot of challenges. Um, after that day I made that epiphany, it seems like everything's been a blur for like the last two years. Like everything just started happening quickly. And with modeling, I, I've been pretty much accepted. And the good thing is like I have a um, close friend of mine named Ricky Davey, and he's the director of Fashion Week Brooklyn. And he often invites me to do, do different photo shoots or runway roles, as I would say. So you got some good connections there. Does it does it pay? You know, it, is modeling a, a, a career that someone, um, you know, that you'd recommend others um, pursue if that really interests them? Yeah. I mean, it does pay. Um, different opportunities pay different rates. Um, and it's dependent on, depending on, you know, what the brand or whatever your model for is looking for. Uh, individuals with disabilities, um, they do make a substantial income. I mean, it's very competitive and it is a lot of work as far as, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you have to be found. So, my only suggestion would be is, you know, the more you do, more photo shoots you do, the more runways you roll on or walk on, whatever the case may be, um, the more opportunities you can make it into a career. But, um, yeah, other than that, you know, it's a wonderful hobby if that's something you're into. But, yeah, you can make it into a career if you're really good and really persistent. Yeah, nice. It sounds like most things you've got to you got to keep at it, and you got to be committed, right? Yeah, exactly, and 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 it's exposure as well. So a lot in this day and age, you know, if you have a large social media following, you're good for the brand, and you know, as far as you know, connecting with possible customers. So if you think, you know, in their terms, then um, yeah. As far as you really have to not only be a good model, you have to also have a pretty decent network and following. Yeah, totally. And with that, I suppose you need to you need to create some value for the community. You got to you got to be in you know in some cases inspiring, or you create content that's uh, educational, or you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah. So yeah, you got to be, and see with me, I'm diverse. So like in my case, I do, uh, I'm open to doing a lot of different things. So I participate in a lot of different things and that's what helps me. I mean, 
it, it can be a bit tiring, you know, being so diverse. However, it really helps the community overall because like in my case, I get the opportunity to showcase some of the cool things I do in order to help other individuals. And also we have the Garrison Red Project, which we also host like adaptive events in order to make other individuals with disabilities more aware of what's out there, as well as since we try to create, we create an inclusive environment. So we have, you know, able-bodied individuals, you know, right next to individuals with disabilities. However, just to make a connection as far as like what you were saying in the beginning, next time they're out and there's an individual in a wheelchair next to them, you know, they'll have a better understanding of that individual. Uh, I'm just looking at the Garrison Red Project website now, and I'll, I'll link into that in our, in our article. Adaptive yoga, adaptive climbing, hackathon, um, and, and other activities, these are, these are all events that, that, uh, that you help put on? Yes, yes. I host all those events. I organize them as well. And um, those are the events that we currently offer right now to our participants. Inclusive dances, 5K races, fundraisers, adaptive skating, adaptive skiing. Man, there's a lot of different things that, uh, that people can get in, involved in with uh, the Garrison Red Project. Um, what's been... What's been uh, what's been the biggest challenge for for setting up the Garrison Red Project? Well, there there was a ton of challenges due to because I was new. Um, you know, I just went in like as soon as I made that decision that this is what I wanted to do. I pretty much my first website that I had designed. I can remember it today. It was like horrible and. Then I had to figure out how to do the not-for-profit paperwork as far as like with the IRS. So that way um, we could be a 501c3 charitable organization, which we are now. And um, yeah, that was that took some time because, you know, you have to first incorporate with the New York State and then incorporate, then do the federal paperwork, which it can be a bit tedious. And when you have nobody to really consult with, um, it could be a challenge. However, luckily, I have a background in finance and a background in taxation. I was able to, you know, complete all of the documents for the most part on my own. And um, yeah, just meeting connections and things of that nature. I mean, it's it's a lot. However, um, it's fulfilling to see the smiles on individual faces that when they do an adaptive climb or participating yoga yeah that's fantastic and uh you know long may that uh, that project continue and and grow because uh, because I, I can see the real value there the the health system in the united states is uh, quite a bit different than it is here in new zealand and and i you know i imagine that there are quite a lot of people that struggle with uh you know financial support um following a an accident like yours um, what what is some advice for for those out there that are that are struggling financially? Um, to definitely, what I would inform them to reach out to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Um, they real they're good with um as far as providing resources 
for individuals with spinal cord injuries. So that's one avenue I would definitely go because, yeah, it's quite, quite difficult to have a spinal cord injury and live in America, especially in New York City. Um, due to the fact that it, the health care is so expensive. And then a lot of times they don't want to cover certain necessities that an individual may need. For instance, in my case, I had to pay a a portion of for my wheelchair because of the fact that they didn't want to cover titanium. They want to provide me with aluminum. And as a wheelchair user, especially if you're using a manual, manual wheelchair, you pretty much know that importance of titanium frames because it's lighter and more durable mm. and easier you know and especially um a, a box wheelchair is you know simple to transport as far as if you're by yourself and have to get in the car and things of that nature but um yeah a lot of people you know especially the healthcare like authorities they don't really do not see the difference they think a wheelchair is a wheelchair <laughs> Yeah, it's a, that's a real shame. Um, you know, if um, you know, for those people listening in the US that are not wheelchair users and, and don't have a disability, Garrison, what would you have done differently in terms of your insurance policies? Would you would you uh, recommend something? Well, if it was up to me, what I would, I'm I'm not too certain what they can do because the health system is like so chaotic right now. Um, but if the government was able to, you know, approve, approve certain devices, maybe have a list of devices that the government would allow individuals that are unable to afford, you know, certain equipment to have. Yeah, that'd be better. It's, it's just, they need some consolidation, don't they, with their with the healthcare system? It's just incredibly, like from state to state, it's different. Where yeah. Exactly. Every so it's. I don't know. I mean, it's very complex. I don't even understand it anymore. I just know you just have to have health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's maybe a question you could ask your health insurance: is what uh, you know? What does the disability cover like? And uh, you know, sometimes. Well, luckily, I have um, pretty good health insurance where um, they do approve a lot of the items that I need or the medications that I would need to take. So luckily, you know, I just pay a copay. However, um, I know that's not the case for everyone. Hey, um, going back to that day when you, when you were shot, um, what, what advice would you give to yourself, uh, just after being shot that, uh, um, you know, and, and what would that 17 year old, uh, boy, think of the man you are now? I don't, it, uh, honestly, I don't think I would give myself any advice. Cause that's something that you can never prepare for. So as far as the advice, I think for the most part, I did everything right. Um, you know, as far as getting to the point where I'm at now, I just, you know, trusted the process. Um, I never gave up hope. Um, even through times where, it didn't, you know, things didn't see seem like they was going to be, you know, a great end because I just, you know, whatever the reason was, I just wasn't in tuned with, you know, how awesome I could be. But luckily, I didn't really um, have any, you know, suffering from like depression or anything of that nature, which was a good thing that 
I, don't, I think I did everything pretty much right. And the 17-year-old person, 17-year-old, when I was a 17-year-old boy to be a 31-year-old man, um, he would be very proud of me, <laughs> very proud. Uh, it's good to hear. It's always a good uh, a good litmus test to, to think about what uh, what your younger self would think of you now. So, um, so it sounds sounds like you're doing great things, Garrison. And um, so, where can people uh, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Instagram, Garrison Red. It's G A R R I S O N R E D D. Um, YouTube is same thing under my name, as well as Facebook or LinkedIn. Also, um, yeah, we also are welcoming donations. So if anybody want to donate to the Garrison Red Project, you can go on the garrisonredproject.org. Um, it really helped other individuals such as like myself that's, you know, wheelchair users or someone who's unable to afford equipment. It can really help them, you know, get what they need. Hey Garrison, what's the future hold for you? What's, what's next in the years ahead? Well, I'm be mayor of New York city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My goal is to win a Paralympic gold medal. And I'm out here. I'm going to keep inspiring the world. Uh, hopefully, you'll see me in movies. I'm venturing into acting now. So, a lot of big things are coming my way. I wish every, I want everybody to stay tuned. Hopefully, the Garrison Red Project within the next few years will be there'll be a chapter all throughout the world. So, come into a town near you. I love it, mate. I love your big vision, and I've uh, I've every confidence that uh, uh, we'll we'll see you uh, in the in the uh, headlines um, yeah. in the years to come. Garrison, um, thanks so much uh, for for joining me on the Adaptive Fly podcast. It's been really great to chat with you, mate. And I I really look forward to uh, connecting with you in person next time I'm in New York. All right, let's do it, mate. And um, if you find yourself in New Zealand setting up a Garrison Red project down here, um, I'll be happy to uh, show you around. All right, definitely. Sounds like a plan. Right on, mate. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks so much. All right, take care, man. Thanks, Garrison. That was great, buddy. Yep, it was amazing. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.